Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Drunker than a bachelorette party on Broadway. That was the Colts and the Titans yesterday. And Eddie Garrison to lead off this edition of Kevin's Corner, if I can continue the analogy, and certainly I've won. I've been one that has had quite the hangover leaving Nashville on a Sunday. If you want to keep that going, the Colts and the Titans, both, again, drunker than a bachelorette party on Broadway. But when 2 a.m. hit, the Colts went and found the nearest pizza spot. The Titans stayed at the bar for another hour and took a couple more shots. That's where I'm going to keep on going. There we that go. Analogy. So, again, both hung over, but the Colts feel much better than the Titans do on this Monday morning. Thank you for tuning in to Kevin's Corner. We're talking about a 7-5 football team. We're talking about the longest current win streak in the AFC with four wins in a row. And, Eddie, with five to go this season, the Colts have already hit their over on wins here in 2023. It ain't pretty. But again, there's no college football committee deciding who makes the NFL playoffs. It comes down to wins. It comes down to losses. And the Colts have had an easy schedule lately, and they have taken advantage of it. And go ask the Pittsburgh Steelers about that yesterday. The Colts get a lot of good help, along with obviously doing their own part in Week 13. 31-28, winners in overtime, a ton to get to. Mr. Garrison, good morning. Good morning. Mr. Garrison's my father, though, so please don't. Call me that one. Yeah, you know, I'm not maybe, there yet. I was going to say, maybe one of these days you will be. Hopefully. Uh, <laughs> nonetheless, you win an hour and 22 minutes on your opening monologue and no mention of Tiger Woods. Hey, how about that? God, he looked good. He looked really good. He looked jacked. He looked good. The only person that looks better is my wife, Maddie Bowen. But yes, Tiger Woods looked very good. So I'm very happy about that. You think she's listening this far in already? <laughs> There's no shot in hell, but I'm with Christmas season here, I'm I'm, I'm hoping that she might be. Um, just wild. Absolutely wild, Eddie. The game, just crazy. Um, I mean, the two block punts, the ease of the block punts. <laughs> we'll get to Brian Mason, um, Nick Folk. I mean, don't they throw up the stat every game? Nick Folk has made 79 in a row inside of 40 yards, and then he, you know, looks like Adam Vinatieri in 2019 kicking that extra point. Just absolutely shanks it. Um, the pick of the two-point conversion returned. I mean, Tennessee loses their two best players during the game. Just a wild, wild game, to say the least. Um, crazy. And you've swept the Titans down for the first time since 2018. And you know it's, a, it's an important divisional conference win. But again, Eddie, Pittsburgh loses to Arizona at home. Pittsburgh loses Kenny Pickett. Micah Fitzpatrick breaks his hand. Cleveland, they lose to the Rams. T.J. Watt got hurt in that game, too. Yeah, I, I, did, but did he go did back go back in. in. Yeah. But again, I mean, now they got a short week, and we'll see how Pittsburgh handles that. If you look at it right now, the four, seven, and five teams, two, six, and six, we'll focus Wednesday shows now moving forward more on the playoff picture. But if you just look purely at results, that's about as good as you could have hoped for in Week 13. Again, the type of product that you are putting on the football field – it still has some major question marks, but that's not part of getting in the dance. Getting in the dance is bottom line results, and the Colts are now 5-1 and one away from home, and they continue to get it done. Any just overall thoughts out of you, Eddie, before we get into what I liked and what I did not like? Uh, not really. I'm sure I'll indulge on my thoughts as we progress throughout what we what you liked and what you didn't like so let's start there the two blocked punts is what you just called him even though one was a block and the other screw that uh tony brown smacked the ball down before it even got to anywhere close to the foot of ryan stonehouse but uh yeah let's start there with the two special teams plays i think that really gave the colts a sense of life on the sideline when they needed the most that last part i think is key the game was turned into a a slog at that point. Late third quarter, it was starting to look like, oh boy, who who's going to break next? And whoever breaks next is going to lose the game. That was kind of my thought there at that point. Neither team, I think, had the firepower to do much at that point. And if you look at the block, you know, Brian Mason, the new special teams coordinator. Which I was, one? The first one. I was so mad when he left Notre Dame because... He was a great special teams coordinator in Notre Dame. Notre Dame blocked seven punts last year, Eddie. Seven in 12 games. That's a big number. That is a huge number. Now, again, block punts in college, they they are more frequent than they are in the NFL. But still, that's a big number. And if you watch the first block punt, you overload that left side. 
in Tennessee, go back and watch that play, number 81 for the Titans. He blocks out instead of in. Nick Cross, untouched, athleticism on full display. Nick Cross blocks that punt. The second block, what does Brian Mason do? He throws a little bit of a wrinkle here. And this is great work by Brian Mason, Joe Hastings, their assistant special teams coordinator, everybody involved here of, Eddie, they get to the sideline, and I would think this is something that had to have been discussed. All right, 81 just made a mistake for Tennessee. How do we put him in another position of conflict? Okay, what do you think the Titans special teams coordinator is saying to him on the sideline? Dude, you always block in. Make sure it's the longest path to get to our punter instead of the shortest path. So they cheat Tony Brown in from that gunner spot on the second punt. What does 81 do? He blocks in after just blocking out. There is Tony Brown, probably your your fastest special teamer. Um, probably right up there with, with Cross, in all honesty. He is untouched, and he, like you said, forces a fumble and then you know causes the— it, Was the Ryan Stonehouse injury bigger than Derrick Henry or Jeffrey Simmons' injury? Maybe <laughs> you could say that based off the miss extra point, but still, uh, what a play, what a sequence, the ease of them, the 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 back to back nature. I mean, I, I can't remember a game I've seen two block punts, let alone Blown. those easy. Like they made them look easy and back to back and back to back as well. So you know when you're when you are that bad in the red zone, you've got to make up for it elsewhere, and these two plays make up for it. You obviously get ten points out of it. And of course, you you didn't punch in. The second one, but still, the field goal was was the difference there. Um, I honestly was a little surprised the Colts didn't sell out more for blocks the rest of the game. I thought when Nick Folk punted, they honestly kind of like scaled it back a little bit. I thought they they scaled it back on the Foles or on the Folk uh, field goal two there in in overtime, but just wild, Eddie, absolutely wild. And to me, I was kind of debating where should I start? Where should I start and what I liked? I thought this one stood out more than anything else. Yeah, you also could have gone the route of Alec Pierce because he started the game with a bang and he ended the game with a bang. Alec Pierce came up big, first 100-yard receiving game of the season, three catches, 100 yards on the dot, one receiving touchdown. Yeah, I guess if we continue the bang analogy, there's some adult film joke joke you could throw in there. Uh, it'd be help, it'd be more helpful if I could actually say that correctly. But nonetheless, obviously Pierce's best game of the season. And you know, I've always felt this way about Pierce, Eddie. He is a one-trick pony, largely. But man, is that is that one trick pretty special? Mm-hmm. And can that one trick impact the game? Um, yeah, I found the Reggie Wayne post-game comments interesting and you can find those comments in two places one you can find them on twitter uh, reggie tweeted after the game receivers just need opportunities agreed um, and then post game angela morian from the indianapolis star had a great clip of players and coaches walking in the locker room star or wish uh wish uh did i say star sorry wish tv angela morian had this clip of um Reggie, amongst others, walking into the postgame locker room, and he said, again, something to the effect of kind of like, my guys just need chances. Let's focus on the tweet. Receivers just need opportunities. I would argue with Pierce, it's specific opportunities. Mm -hmm. Eddie, we can't look at a box score after the game and see 10 targets for Michael Pittman and 10 targets for Alec Pierce and act like those are the same things. Pittman, you know what those targets are going to be. It's methodical. Um for Pierce, his targets need to be in the vertical capacity for him to truly be playing to his strengths. And again, I've never felt like he was a bust. Um, are there questions about him being a complete wideout? Certainly. But the fact that the one trick can be what you saw yesterday is what makes him so dynamic. And again, when I go back to the Reggie tweet, Receivers just need opportunities. Again, he needs specific deep ball opportunities. Mm-hmm. And the quarterbacks he's played with in the NFL, they don't cater to that. Now, the quarterback in the sling right now, he does. Oh, yeah. So I always felt like when Richardson was drafted, that Pierce would benefit from that. That was Richardson's calling card at Florida. The one thing he excels in right now as a passer is he's a very accurate deep ball thrower. Anybody that went to Grand Park, they saw that. Eddie, remember the drop Pierce had in the preseason? 
against Buffalo. Oh yeah. I mean that was a deep. I mean that is exactly what you had dialed up. Now we really didn't see Richardson attempt many deep balls in the small sample size he played. But I've always felt like you know what this matches the quarterback's strength, and I've always been curious about that. Um, now. Again, just because I'm saying that doesn't mean I think that you should lessen the need of wide out or anything along those lines, because um, I do think there are some areas that Pierce just doesn't excel in as a complete wide out. But if you're talking about getting vertical and making plays, he does do that. And I think there's times he's been open. And I thought it was fitting, Eddie, yesterday Matt Ryan was on the call, and I think back to the Jacksonville win last year, I mean, that was Pierce kind of climbing the ladder. He really, it was great separation he got on both the deep balls yesterday, and Minshew delivered him great. He didn't really have to show off the vertical necessarily on, on either of those plays or, you know, kind of hand fight uh, in the air for the ball there. Um, but just huge. I mean, absolutely massive. Again, a day you struggle in the red zone, a day where it, it, it's choppy, you got to do something out of the ordinary, and this was obviously out of the ordinary from from Pierce uh, based off the quarterback that he's played with this season. And his head coach is a big reason why he's had the success he did yesterday. Um, and it's a large reason why Michael Pittman Jr. has been so successful and, is, and mainly the reason why the offense has been so successful. So talking about Shane Steichen, big play decisions, big decision play calls, um, and just scheming up the offense. He was just fantastic yesterday i want to take it a step further than than just the scheme or the creativity it is when he decided to dial up the deep shots when he decided to throw the flea flicker to kylan granson this is a little bit of kind of nerd play calling stuff but it's what separates i think the elite ones from just the average ones if you look at it yesterday eddie the colts had three plays over 25 yards those are big chunks obviously in a game uh, the 55-yarder to Pierce, of course. Um, the 36-yarder to him as well. And then the flea flicker to Granson. So if we just, let's just go in order of those plays, okay? So the first play comes, by the way, boy, didn't Tennessee just go down the field <laughs> right away and score? Marched right down there. Yeah, so it, it was quite the answer that, that the Colts needed. So the Colts get aided a little bit on that opening drive, right? Uh Kayvon Wallace, the guy that I actually liked coming out of the draft, he gets the unsportsmanlike penalty, right? Not only does he get the penalty, he also gets benched for the next snap. Well, Kayvon Wallace is part of the new safety tandem with Kevin Byard not there. So it's already a quote-unquote kind of backup safety, and now he's benched. So you're going deeper into your safety depth chart. What does Steichen do right after the penalty? Let's take a shot. Boom. You hit it to Pierce. Okay, let's fast forward to the Kylan Granson flea, flea flicker. What happened on the play before? Third and one, Kyle Petko, the big hog molly in the middle, goes offsides. Eddie, I would argue there's no moment in a game that a defensive group gets more mad at one of their defenders than when one of their big off- big defensive linemen go offsides in a short yardage situation. And when they're right over the ball, nonetheless. Third and one, I mean, how many dumb penalties did the Titans have yesterday? I mean, just so many. I mean, hell, they could have been... The unsportsmanlike conduct? Unsportsman. Didn't they have a couple like false starts in short yardage, too? And Catalan was always like, oh, they're second in the league in false start penalties. Um, right there. Petco. Offsides. So, again, think about that, Eddie. Everyone's yelling. They're yelling to the fat dude, Petco. Get off the field, man! You're not coming in again until goal line! You know? <laughs> I mean, they're, they're so mad. Obviously, you got to go substitution, you know? Your, your defense on third and one looks different than your defense on first and ten. So, is communication on point at that point? Probably not, because you aren't keeping the same sort of personnel on the field. So, what does Steichen do? Dials up the flea flicker to Granson on the very next play. Wide the blank open. And then the last one, the 55-yarder to Pierce. To me, it's very similar to the, to the Kavon Wallace penalty earlier in the game. Sean Murphy bunting on the play previous commits that illegal contact. And, and that would have been a sack. You know, that was a sack by Tennessee on that play. So, what does Steichen do? On a first and 10, he throws it right at Murphy Bunting, the guy that just committed that penalty, who's mm-hmm. going to be very hands off, Alec Pierce. And so, that to me is not the creativity. It's funny, I actually had an NFL assistant coach uh, text me after the flea flicker 
to Granson is like, oh, I see everybody fawning over Steichen's play call there. The Chiefs have run that play. The 49ers have run that play this year, blah, blah, blah. And to me, it's like, it's not about the creativity necessarily of the play. Yes, it's a cool design. And sure, there's an element of at this point, everybody's just stealing plays from everybody. Mm -hmm. But it's when you decide to dial up those plays that I think are so critical. Sure, there are elements of psyching. Like, if the Grants in fourth and one end around doesn't work out, he's getting ripped for it. Oh, yeah. And a cute, you know, how cute do you get? End around to the tight end, and you don't see how the Titans run it. But it's when you do those plays and you choose the shots that, to me, can separate you. And I find it not happenstance that Steichen decided to dial up both deep balls to Pierce and the flea flicker to Granson off of penalties. Think about that, Eddie. Defensive penalties. What happens? Guys sulk. Guys yell at each other. They look at the jumbotron to try to see if they committed the penalty or not. Their coaches are yelling at them from the sidelines. Substitutions inevitably happen after penalties. So all of a sudden, the 40-second play clock is now maybe shrunk to like 10 seconds of actual, I've moved on to the next play. Mm -hmm. And even then, you haven't probably fully moved on. That's such a human element to it. Um, So to me, it's the combination of, yes, you want to be creative, but also you've got to choose and pick your spots. And Steichen, whether it's using tempo this season or even kind of the short yardage, I run my unit out, I run my unit off, those sorts of things he does. You know, he's very selective when he does this stuff. And I thought that was a brilliant aspect to Shane Steichen yesterday. And it kind of adds to reasons why Colts fans should feel encouraged about him. It's not just, hey, we're going to take a deep shot on a first and 10 after we got Zach Moss on a four yard gain on second and three. It's not that. It's all right. Penalties, chance to expose, chance to take advantage. Don't you always hear it after a turnover? That's a time to take a shot. Again, I would argue a penalty is more of a time to take a shot. Because after a turnover, there still is an element of of the defense that it's like, all right, here we go, sudden change. You know, you still got some of those guys (laughs) clapping and, and, and getting ready. And they are decently rested. It's the penalty that I think you can really take advantage of them. So, uh, brilliant, brilliant by Shane Sykin. I wanted to make sure that we mentioned the three plays over 25 yards. They all had a common theme. They all came after a penalty. Um, honorable mention in the what you liked category to Kylan Granson, four touches, three first downs. Yeah, I I, I thought about Granson. I mean, I thought I, I thought honestly a guy that had a nice game yesterday who we haven't said that. I thought Quiddy Pay had a couple moments as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to kind of slot it to the three biggest ones, but yeah, I mean, if you're going to go a little bit down the um, down that list, I would say both of those guys would be there as well. Uh, Samson Ebicom continues to be a pest in the backfield, right? And that's you know, I, it was almost like I kind of expected that out of Ebicom again. The Titans, it's a backup left tackle. I think it's a six round pick and Jalen Duncan. You know that that should be there. Now, granted, there's been times this year, probably more from Pay than Ebicom, that he hasn't taken advantage. Of those matchups, but um, yeah, they, they they did a nice job of kind of forcing Will Levis into some rookie moments. Uh, one final thing here before we transition into what you did not like. Um, I want your thoughts on this. How critical was that first drive coming out of halftime where the Colts go? It was that long ni- drive, right? Yeah, 19 plays in 10 minutes um, in terms of taking Will Levis out of rhythm and taking that Tennessee offense out of rhythm, too. Yeah, and was that, did Simmons get hurt on that drive, too? Yes. I'm trying to think that was when he exited there. Yeah, that was a huge part of that game. Yeah, I mean that was that was vital. Um even though you didn't get 7. I mean the fact that, that you got 3 there and then you know that kind of turned it into this, you know, a little bit of a field goal. I mean obviously the chaos ensued after that, but uh, that was a that was a big moment for sure. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, let's transition to what you did not like, starting with the rushing attack. Gardner, or not Gardner Minshew, but uh, Zach Moss filling in for Jonathan Taylor once again. Uh, 19 carries for, what, 51 yards, I think, was the final total. Yeah, and I thought in general, Eddie, both sides of the ground game. You know, I thought Tennessee controlled the line of scrimmage there. You know, there are moments where they were bullying you. And again, I, I tweeted out during the game, 
I mean, the Colts should have rose petals waiting for Grover Stewart to get back in the building today. That is six straight games of at least, and by the way, Grover's been in the building for three weeks, but you know what I mean, the fact that he can now play this week. Six straight, Eddie, of at least 125 rushing yards they've allowed. It's the longest streak for the Colts in 17 years. Oh, wow. Uh, you think Grover Stewart means something? You think that should show up on Grover Stewart's agent's uh, leverage here as he uh, pitches him for a new contract here coming up in the offseason? Yes, all of those things. Obviously, Grover's PD, you know, self-inflicted, et cetera, et cetera, but still. Um, yeah, that is um, run game and run defense. And, you know, Tennessee's got a good front. I want to acknowledge that. So them shutting, uh, shutting down um, – Moss and the run game to that point was pretty uh, pretty effective. You know, when you look at Moss's snap count, Eddie played everyone but four, and I think he got banged up and missed one snap. I mean, I thought Tyler Goodson actually had a couple nice, you know, bursts out of the backfield, but you know, it, it, Moss just isn't going to be as fresh. And again, that ground game, I thought you felt Taylor's absence a little bit in the red zone. I mean, don't you think Taylor helps you kind of convert one of those, mm-hmm. changes three into into seven? And did you see, uh, you know, Rappaport had the report earlier in the week, three to five weeks on Taylor and his return. Um, you know, that obviously would stretch through the Steelers game. And if you look at the playoffs right now, I mean, that Steelers game is probably the most important game you'll have the rest of the season outside of Houston to end the year. So that obviously is a uh, is a big one. But I thought Tennessee kind of controlled the line of scrimmage early on. Your run defense got a little bit better, but still... Um, you really, really miss Grover Stewart. Really miss him. Yeah, and of course that game with Pittsburgh could be without Kenny Pickett now after he exits. Yeah, I saw Mika Fitzpatrick broke his hand. Yep. Um, I mean, again, Eddie, you talk about things that helped you out in Week 13. There is a chance, and I don't know what you label Desmond Ritter. I guess you label him the starting quarterback. There is a chance between now and C.J. Stroud, it's all backups. I guess Ritter is a starter, technically. But it's Jake Browning, it's Mitchell Trubisky. It's Desmond Ritter and it's Aiden O'Connell. I mean, we'll touch more on this on Wednesday, but it is, it's wild to even say it, but it's sitting on a platter for the Colts. Mm-hmm. Now, insert, it was sitting on a platter for this team two years ago when all they need to do is beat the Raiders or the Jags, and they didn't do it. But boy, is it, they're in such a great position right now, which again, I don't think that's a universal comment you would make about all seventh place playoff teams with five weeks to go. On Friday on Korean Company, when I gave my prediction, I just went, I said, I want full chaos. I want 17-15 Titans. I don't know how the Colts are getting 15, and I don't know how Tennessee's getting 17. But I picked Tennessee because I was like, I feel like they'll be able to control the line of scrimmage with Derrick Henry in their offensive line because of Grover Stewart not being there, which they did. I also said I didn't know if I could count on Gardner Minshew to make enough plays in a limited possession game. And it turned out for the first 66 minutes – that was the case, but then in the final whatever, however many minutes, he came up big with that throw to Alec Pierce, and then obviously he just had to throw it in the zip code to Michael Pittman Jr. for the touchdown, but in terms of what you did not like, Minshew's first 66 minutes. Yeah, it's um, Boomer Sison after the game said something effective like, oh man, he's the ultimate insurance policy, and I'm thinking to myself, nothing screams you watched the last five plays of the game and didn't watch a single other Minshew snap more than that. Or like NBC saying Gardner Minshew had a good game. Yeah. It, it, look, it is impressive by Minshew, the moxie that he showed in, in overtime. I do want to make sure that we mention that. You know, a lot of backup quarterbacks, Eddie, think about it. They wilt so much during the game that they just continue to wilt. And the mistakes in the first quarter, those mistakes almost look like positive plays when you consider the mistakes they make in the second half. They just they continue to slowly deconstruct, self, self-construct, self if you will, or Deconstruct, I should say. And with Minshew there in overtime, he delivered. I mean, that was a great ball to Pierce. And that mm-hmm. was a great ball, I thought, to to Pittman as well for the touchdown. But you can't ignore the endless amount of plays, Eddie. I mean, I could I could talk about some of these plays forever. I mean, you had the third and one right there to open up the game. Michael Pittman Jr. is wide open, and you miss him. Um, yes, he did hit two of them to Pierce, but he also missed him. On, on another, I thought the stack, the the sack strip by Autry, to me, when you hold the ball for that long in the red zone, it's time to throw throw the ball and hit, and hit the beer guy. Yep, you know it's one of those that you can throw it as far as you can, just hit the beer guy and take the Matt Gay field goal. 
And that was three points that you just let slip away based off that. And then obviously the two point conversion. I mean, you throw overhand across the middle like that, and you throw high over the middle like that to a guy that's probably not used to catching a whole lot of balls. That can happen. Um, and then lastly, what was that slide? <laughs> slid out of bounds like a full yard short of the sticks on a third down. Uh huh. And if you watch the play, Autry is running towards the sideline. But Autry's in a very upright position. Like it's one of those if Minshew would have tried to cut it up, you know, Autry would have just, I think, tried to like shove him out of bounds. If you dive though, head first there, Autry's, you know, whatever, six well, six five and two seventy. I don't know how big he is, probably bigger than that. But that's not where Autry's necessarily gonna get low and like, you know, you risk injury, I guess is what I'm getting at. If you dive there, you still minimal contact against you and you have a chance to actually get the first down. I was like, where is the awareness there? Again, I'm not asking Will Levis helicopter yourself in the middle of the field on the first third down of the game, Mm -hmm. but find a happy medium. So um, you overcame Minshew again. I mean, it was lackluster. It was poor. And I want to make sure that I'm clear here. I think a lot of people are like, well, you know, he's just playing like a backup quarterback. The Gardner Minshew the Colts have gotten over the past month plus is not even normal Gardner Minshew. Mm-hmm. It's not even early in the season Minshew, Jacksonville Minshew, even a little bit of Philadelphia Minshew. You can look at a variety of stats that contribute to he's not meeting the back of his own baseball card. So is he looking like a normal backup? That's fair to say. But again, Minshew has created a standard to where NBC calls it a good game or Boomer Sison calls him the greatest insurance policy. In the NFL. Yeah, he has developed that reputation, but he's not doing that for Indy. And yesterday, Eddie, the turnovers came back into play. Oh, yeah. Again, two of them directly to five points um, there. So you continue to play with fire at quarterback. And I will repeat probably something I've said on several podcasts now. You can look at that one of two ways. The glass half full way would say he can play better. He has played better in his career. Once he does that, the Colts won't be in needing a missed extra point with five minutes to go in the game to win it. Um, They'll have a better chance to continue this playoff run because I do think you're getting into some like-minded teams now. You know, uh, I believe the record is 12-36 and of the four teams that you just beat to win these four straight. Cincinnati's better than that. Pittsburgh's better than that. Um, Atlanta's better than that. They're not much better, but they're better than the four that you just played. You don't think they're better than New England and Carolina? I don't know about Cincinnati with Jake Browning. Okay, maybe maybe not Cincy, but there's more on paper. Or Pitt with Trubisky. Is Trubisky that worse? That much worse than Kenny Kenny Pickett? I mean, he's Kenny Pickett's backup, right? But again, Pittsburgh has been this team that overcomes inconsistent quarterback. T.J. Watt and Mika Fitzpatrick can go win you a game. I don't think Tennessee had anybody like that. I don't think New England, yeah. and Carolina have anybody. Yeah, like that. you are going up a tier. It's not a substantial climb. But what I'm getting at is this. The glass half full, again, Minshew can play better. The glass half empty would say, as competition starts to increase, not significantly, but again, starts to increase a little bit, is that going to catch up to you? And just playing with fire now turn into a law. Again, I mean, they were a, if Nick Folk makes that extra point, the Colts probably lose that game. If Matt Gaines misses a 50-yard field goal in Baltimore. Right. It, it's so, but again, specifically to yesterday, like you're playing with fire. Yeah. When does the fire burn? That would be the glass half empty look at how Minshew is playing right now. And again, Eddie, if the first ball that he throws in overtime, if Jack Gibbons, who was right there, if he picks that ball off, that was a hell of an effort, I thought, by Pittman to kind of pull that ball away. The fourth down, or not the fourth down, the final play of regulation before the kneel down. Oh, when Autry. The first down, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have have been wild. Either of those plays happen. We're talking about Sam Ellinger. Gave right me now. Carson Wentz vibes. Yeah, very much. I mean, we are le- legitimately talking about Ellinger. I mean, a lot of people would be calling for that. I don't think Shane Steichen would be. But again, a lot of people, understandably, would be calling for that. So, um, again, as always, what I liked, what I didn't like, I want to tell the full picture. Don't want to just um, look at things from one lens or the other, good or bad. So, uh, right now, you're continuing to overcome the player quarterback. In the glass half empty look of this, Uh huh. Um. You're, what, 13 weeks into the season now? I mean, this is who he is. Like, I, Yeah, I, I, I tend to think, we, especially with Taylor going to miss seemingly more time. Like, yeah. I just, I think we are there. 
I don't think they're going to discover anything new at this point of the year. You know what you are. You know what you've got. It's a matter of creatively, you know, trying to minimize those mistakes and putting Gardner Minshew in those compromised positions. I think that's probably a fair way to fair way to put it. I I am curious if he's a little banged up. You know, he's got that right sleeve on his knee that he wears a lot. I I don't know. I just I seem to notice a little bit of banged up nature, but I don't know. Maybe that's me giving him benefit of the doubt. Ready for Twitter questions? Let's do it. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Is up first. Last year, the Colts were 4-12-1. This year, they are 7-5 with a second-string quarterback. Does this prove Shane Steichen is a top-tier head coach even in his first year. Sure, he has room for improvement, but the jump this team has taken with the backup quarterback is stark. Yeah, Cameron, it's hard to argue against any of that. Shane Steichen, to me, is um, he, I, he's got to be on that coach of the year list. I, I don't, you know, D'Amico Ryans, Mike McDaniel, I, I, I don't know who else would, Dan Campbell, I don't know who else would look at the list. Again, I always think we get into funny debates with coach of the year of do you go with the team that maybe didn't have grand expectations, but yet they're exceeding those a little bit, or do you go with the team that was scheduled to miss the NCAA tournament and now they make it? Uh, I guess the Colts would kind of fall into that Northwestern boat, if you will, of a Chris Collins coach of the year award. But yeah, Steichen, it just... He gives you an advantage, especially offensively. And I do think, again, his style, I think any message would have struck a freshness into a building. But I think his style caters to a younger athlete more than others. You want to have feeling that you're following someone that's intelligent. He's certainly that. But you also want a little bit of fire. And you want, I mean, just watch him mic'd up last week. I mean, he's very animated. Golly. On the sidelines, much more so than he is in front of a podium. And I I thought he's game-managed things pretty well. I mean, yes, there are definitely some instances, which you're obviously going to have that any week with a coach where it's not great, great. I thought he honestly got away with not taking a timeout there late in the first half. Um, I thought they could have saved the Colts, you know, 20 or 30 extra seconds once it was clear Tennessee was content to kind of milk that clock. But still, um, he gives you more of an advantage than not. And he's exactly the type of coach I think you needed given the time of where the organization was at, especially offensively, especially quarterback-wise. So, um, yeah, I don't think there's any any doubt in that. Steichen is fourth right now, courtesy of FanDuel Sportsbook, on odds for Coach of the Year. Dan Campbell first, D'Amico Ryan second, Mike McDaniel third. Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, you could argue, you know, those guys, of course, you know, some would say, well, they're not doing with the backup quarterback. That's fair. It is kind of funny how the Minshew narrative has changed a little bit. Wasn't at the start of the year, the Colts, if Gardner starts, the Colts will win more games than if Anthony starts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's kind of funny how that that has changed a little bit after watching Minshew. Twitter question number two. Or can I start calling it Twix? I'm team Twitter. Can we stick with Twitter? Twix? So is that incorporating the X, obviously? Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll let you do you. Okay. Connor, could you believe or could you answer this on the Colts uh podcast? Uh can you talk about the Colts defense um as to why they are good in terms of getting sacks but they are bad in stopping the run uh, as of late. I believe this season they are ranked second in sacks but 26th in rush yards allowed. Could it be scheme or Chris Ballard's preference in undersized defensive ends? Also, I've heard there's a meeting in Las Vegas this week to discuss investigating your son Max for game manipulation if his prediction record goes above 80%. (laughs) It is funny how often I see people public and the first thing they say is, um, you know, what is is Max Bowen's pick this week? Um, (laughs) You know, I... um, I think Max, by the way, is enamored with the white helmet right now. You know, that's the one he sees week in and week out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the guys picked the Colts. I think it's like six or seven straight, straight weeks here. So, I'm, you know, I'm like, should I incorporate the Bengals helmet more in his toy routine earlier in the week just so we get a little bit of an even playing field? I feel like the experiment <laughs> has a little bit of bias with this. What's but. his record now? Uh, he, exactly the Colts record, 7-5. and five. He was very up and down, like the Colts, early in the year. But he's rode the Colts, I think, God, ever since like that Saints game. So... Uh, that is a great stat that Connor's found, though, about the rushing yards being so poor and the sacks being so high. If I had to argue, I, I feel like there's some 
I don't think their pass rush is as good as the sack number indicates, and I don't think their rushing yards is as bad as that rushing yards number indicates. Again, mm-hmm. I brought up the Grover Stewart stats earlier. I mean, that is very alarming. And theoretically, they should be a better run team, right? Because isn't Ebukam thought of as more of the run defender than Ngakwe was? You know, you know that was some of the thought there. And then pass rush-wise, I, I, I do feel like, and I mean, hey, the part of just showing up and playing, who shows up in your schedule, a large number of these pressures and sacks have come when feasting against these quarterbacks that just, they just wilt. I mean, they, they aren't as composed as, I mean, how many times did you hit Stafford in that game? You know, it's not like the Rams O-line's great, but Stafford knows where the pressure's coming from, how to get rid of it, et cetera, et cetera. And, hey, beautiful thing for the Colts. They're going to continue to play these types of QBs. Yeah. So, that is a great, great part of it. But, uh, again, against Bryce Young and Will Levis, especially, uh, I almost called you Andy there. Um, they Ooh, have, that would have been Reese Cup number four since we've got interest now from two. They have done a great, great job of making sure that these guys are in rookie moments, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is something that is really, really important from them. Um, I was at a store. I can't remember what store it was um, over the weekend, and uh, I saw the two massive Reese Cups. Oh, boy. And they're like a half a pound each. I'm like, holy hell. Now, if I buy you one of those, will that suffice for me calling oh, Andy yep, so often? Oh, yep, yep, 100%. <laughs> Hell, even one Reese cup. I know, I know. I I'm know. just kidding. I, I, before Christmas, I will, I will, I will get those. <laughs> uh, four Twitter questions left. Chris says he appreciates Shane Steichen's willingness to stick with the run and keep things balanced. Uh, Moss had 19 attempts for 51 yards and was unable to score in three red zone appearances. Is this more indicative on the gap between Taylor and Moss or struggles with the offensive line against Tennessee's front? Yeah, I'd say a little bit of it all, to be honest with you, Chris. I mean, Tennessee does have a good front. We talked about Tier Tart being being back in the um, back in the lineup for him, but I, I also think Eddie, you, you did feel the loss of Taylor. I, I don't want to act like Moss had gaping holes. I don't think that was there. But I'll bring up what I brought up on last Wednesday's podcast. Just go back to the New England game la- um, last month. I mean, think about the fourth and goal and that effort by Taylor there. I mean, that that's the difference in the game. And right now, this Colts team, I mean, they are. They are locked in these games. I mean, all these games are just these crazy sort of one possession, freak things happen one way or the other, and they can totally, totally change the course of the game. So um, I do think there is a little bit of you need your run block. With, with Moss, you you need your run block and be pretty darn good. And and remember, um, and now the, gap, the, the, now the gap has only grown a little bit. I think last week, Eddie, it was – 0.6 yards per carry. That was the difference between Moss and games started by Richardson versus Minshew. Obviously, that is going to grow a little bit with the small yards per carry. Um, so I just think some of that contributes to it as well. Mm-hmm. I just felt like he didn't have much to operate with, and he was. Able I would to- agree. I, I think that's largely it. But again, um, I think there's a little bit more of. I think you'd be underselling Taylor too. But you know, just taking Taylor off the field. I mean. It's a little thing, and I don't think the screen was blocked this way, but what if you throw that screen to Taylor in the red zone? Mm-hmm. Is that difference mm-hmm. than Moss? Yeah, and I felt like there were a couple of runs, too. I Sometimes we overlook these type of runs where he had nothing to nowhere to go, and it was two, three yards behind the line of scrimmage after just getting the ball, and he was just able to get back to the line of scrimmage. Right, right, and Moss does a great job of that, You know, falling forward, running through contact. Yeah, I mean, making negative two turn into zero or one. Um, but you know, the, I, I, I liked how that Tajay Spears ran for Tennessee as well. Mm-hmm. For being a speed guy, I thought he showed some nice kind of, especially when Henry went out, uh, a couple of bigger moments there. Yeah. Tennessee. What, what a disaster that was by Tennessee. You imagine watching that. You imagine being on the flip side of that, Tennessee, and losing that game. And you lose Henry. And mm-hmm. you lose Simmons. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know they're not necessarily in it, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, just a couple more left. Scotty, is Grover getting a bigger payday than Michael Pittman Jr. because of the Colts' run defense being garbage without him? <laughs> uh, I, I I laugh. I, I mean, the answer is no, but <laughs> the fact that the question can even be asked kind of shows you what Grover's meant. You know, it's rare to Eddie to see one player mean that much to a run defense. But the evidence is there. Yeah. I mean, they've been a great run defense team in the entire Ballard era. 
And yet, Grover is a huge, huge reason why. Eddie, rank, okay. Pittman, Grover, Kenny Moore, Julian Blackman. Rank them one to four. Who who are you bringing back? Number one would be Pittman. Number two for me would be Kenny. Number three would be Grover. Four would be Julian. I'll give my answer in the offseason. Oh, come on. You can't do that. That's not fair. <laughs> you got to have the offseason tease. That's not fair. You got to dangle the carrot a little bit. I guess, but people and you know. Can't give Rosie Bone the entire cookie. Let's you know, give half the cookie and make sure she'll have the other one tomorrow night after dinner. In two months, people besides us will probably forget about these rankings. <laughs> no, no. You know how the offseason pods go. People listen to the offseason pods more than they do the regular season ones. I know. I'm saying they'll forget what we said now <laughs> because in two months it could change. Hey, that's the, uh, that's the beauty of it. You really not giving out your rankings? No, no, sir. I, I think Grover. I think Grover should be higher. I think, I think I've made it pretty clear where I stand on Pittman. I've always been a Pittman guy. Like I think yes. I've made that pretty clear. Um, it, the Grover Kenny case is a great one. Yeah, I'd probably flip it, but it, it's it, it it's a great one. And honestly, you can make a case um, for what you have. Mm-hmm. I mean, who the hell's the backup slot? <laughs> Who's the backup nickel? Um, and then I think Julie Blackman's had a really nice season. Oh, yeah, I do agree. I do agree. You know? So is Rodney Thomas. You don't talk about those two a lot. Uh, and yesterday we saw Nick Cross really eat into that Rodney Thomas playing time. 31 snaps defensively for Cross. Easily the most he's had since week two of last year when he was a starter. Um, I know Thomas has had some inconsistent moments, but, um, yeah, Cross played a lot. Curious to see how that will evolve. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Just two questions left. Jake and Cole, we'll start with Jake. When was the last time a Colts team could be characterized as tough mentally and physically? How do you measure tough? How do you like? How do you quantify that? They don't let their mistakes. They overcome their mistakes. Okay, and so you go a little, little bit more mental than physical. That was that would be the mental part of it. Because physically, I guess you can measure it a little bit in like, do they stop the run? Do they are they good in short yardage? I mean, they're yeah. just pesky. They don't yeah. quit. Yeah, resilient. You know, I'll, I'll go back to an early Ballard statement that I remember he made in his opening press conference, and you, and you walk away from that press conference. In 2017, and you know, you're trying to dissect these, you know, big, you know, words. I mean, right now, Indiana football's doing it with Kurt Signetti. This dude, he is. If if I had one tenth of Kurt Signetti's Kurt Signetti's confidence walking into bars at IU, I probably would have walked alone with someone and not alone as much as I did back in the day. But nonetheless, Ballard echoed something in that opening presser about we want high character guys. And Eddie, you could probably show me. 31 other GMs press conferences, and they probably said something to that effect. Yep. But I stand by this. I really think the Colts look for that. And again, what does high character mean? Because to me, when I hear character, Eddie, what do I what what do I think of? Your, your players don't get arrested. <laughs> that's largely what I think of. They behave like mm-hmm. that. That's what I think of when high character. But Ballard, the more he explained it, the more I started to nod my head at it. He's like, no, no, no. High character means self motivation as well. You're Eddie Garrison, and you have high character, but you have 65% ability. I'm Kevin Bowen. I'm low character, but I have 85% ability. Who are you going to bet on? You going to bet on Eddie, the high character guy, to reach 65, or are you going to take the chance on the 85% Kevin Bowen who has low character? Like That's kind of the analogies that the Colts make in this draft process. And so I bring that up to get back to Jake's question about toughness because – I do think, for the most part, it is a roster filled with a good to great amount of high-character individuals. So when it starts hitting the fan and crazy stuff happens in a game, one play, one life. These guys actually kind of live it. Because they are, you know, again, it goes back to the penalty thing I brought up earlier about Steichen dialing up big shots after penalties. What he's saying is, I'm testing your character. Can you flip the script? The play clock's at 12. Are you still bitching and moaning to Petco on the sidelines? Are you still Sean Murphy bunting? Are you are you shaking your head at the line of scrimmage thinking, I can't believe I just committed that illegal contact penalty? Or 
are you one play and one life? So I do think the Colts are a a mentally tough team, which again, I know it's kind of gray area with that. Uh, but that high character thing, I do think means means a lot. Now, when was the last time a Colts team could be described as that? I I don't know. I mean, last year's team at the first sign of adversity, did they wilt? I I guess you could probably say to that, but again, isn't many of the guys the same? Did Steichen's presence mean a whole lot? I, I don't you know, I, I I'm just torn on this. Sorry for being a little wishy washy on the answer. But Bruce Arians? I hope I, I I mean, yeah, I mean, like, that's a hard-ass toughness. But, again, I mean, there are a lot of hard-ass coaches, and your team isn't very tough. Mm-hmm. You know, there are hard-ass coaches, and you commit a bunch of dumb penalties. I, I think Mike Vrabel's a great coach. If you just looked at their penalties yesterday, you'd say they're a horribly coached team. And right. They had some dumb, dumb penalties. So, again, is that coaching? Is it the character of the guys? Is it a 4-7 and seven football team that just, they're not very good? You know, like, I don't know. Apologies right. for being wishy-washy. I guess you really didn't even answer the question. Last time the Colts had a yeah, team I, that could be characterized as tough. I mean, weren't they tough in you know 2020 when they won? You know how many in a row? Yeah, that's a- true. And, and sure, they wilted late, and you could say they weren't. They were the furthest thing from tough. But like back then, they were overcoming bad quarterback play and winning one-score games. 2018, didn't they win nine of ten in 2018 to end the year? Mm-hmm. You know, one at Tennessee to clinch your spot in the playoffs. So. I, yeah, I mean, you can go back to Bruce Arians, but I think there are moments of over the course of a season where you are tough and other times where, you know, it's funny. That question gets asked. If Nick Folk makes an extra point, does that question get asked? So does that does that change the answer? Are they now not tough? It, it just it describes how fine of a line it is for any football team. And I, and I largely think over the course of 17 games, you show your true colors. Yeah. Like I walked out of Notre Dame Stadium when, when they – Lost to Ohio State and thought to myself, damn, one inch away. Notre Dame's got a good football team this year. One inch away from beating Ohio State. They're good. And now I'm like, they're playing in the fucking Sun Bowl? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, hey, what? El Paso? Have you got to have seven flights from South Bend to get there? Yeah. I mean, so. Who's the opponent? Oregon State, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's gonna be weird watching DJU play, even though he's well, in the transfer portal. I was gonna say he's in the portal. Granted, he tore up Notre Dame uh, back in that COVID game. Yeah. Last Twitter question comes from Cole. Apologies for dropping the big ol' F. I was surprised. You no, caught me off guard there. Yeah, it, you try to keep this uh, a fam as a yeah, family I program. I do. I apologies if there are any kids in the car. <laughs> I, I usually don't do that, but it was Notre Dame fandom coming out of me. That's true. And I still think Notre Dame has had a better season than most. Want to give it credit to? Just the competitive nature of Kevin Bowen coming out. Gosh, I kind of regret that. Kind of don't though. All right, just get to the last question. Uh, it's from Cole, uh, Kev, and Eddie. Uh, Gardner Minshew has struggled lately. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that. At his core, he is a backup quarterback, but at the end of the day, for a backup, he has been solid. Do you think the Colts resign him next year to continue to be the backup quarterback of the future, or no? It's kind of funny, Eddie, how I, I would say in a way over the, this is my 12th year covering the Colts. I've probably come around a little bit. You turned your mic off and forgot to turn it back off. Oh, sorry about that. Well, I was probably trying to hide myself from cussing again. Um in the 12 years of covering the Colts, I would say that I've come around a little bit on this overall one in that I'm now a pretty big believer in, like, you should invest a good amount in your backup quarterback. And maybe it's the style of Anthony Richardson that has me saying this, but um, I think that's kind of where I'm at with this one in that I would probably—I mean, I can sit here and say Minshew's been lack, lackluster, inconsistent, et cetera, et cetera— but then I'm also kind of like, well, I mean, he also, you know, is better than some of these other backups that I'm watching there on a week-in, week-out basis. And, like, he has a relationship with Anthony Richardson, and he knows Shane Steichen's offense, and I feel like those things do matter. Um, so that is a thought that I have there with Richardson. And I'll stand by something that I said a couple weeks ago, Eddie. I feel like in this day and age of the NFL, particularly with running-style quarterbacks— I think you draft one every year in round five or six, no matter who your quarterback is. I'm saying if I'm the Chiefs, I would do that. Plus, I think Shane Steichen knows the position so well, I would want Steichen to identify guys that he likes. 
and get him get those guys into the building. That would be another thing that I would like to see from the Colts there. So, um, yeah. I hope that makes sense. It does. I think you would resign Steichen. Or, um, oh, I would hope so. Uh, would you rather resign Minshew or Moss? Minshew. Yeah. I think you can draft a running back. Evan Hole coming back. But I don't know. Yeah. He hasn't been able to show, you know, but, the. No, I, I think I would agree with you on that answer there. But kind of an interesting, to throw, interesting one to throw out there. All right, Eddie, you got anything else? I don't have anything else. Um, I'll have a uh, Tuesday morning. I'll have a kind of a playoff rundown article up on 107.5 The Fan. Again, Wednesday's pod will focus on that. Jags and Bengals tonight. Percentage of Colts fans that still think the division is up for grabs and they want Cincinnati. Or is that is that too greedy of a thought? Jacksonville's what eight and three. Correct. Colts are seven and five. So a Jacksonville loss would bring them to eight and four. One game difference. Now, of course, they have the head head to head tiebreaker. Um, Jacksonville schedule the rest of the way, Eddie. Do you know it, or are you asking? At Browns, Ravens, at Bucks, Panthers, at Titans. I see one loss on that schedule. You see the Ravens as a loss? Yeah. At Browns, maybe? No? <sighs> Not with Joe Flacco. I heard Flacco looked decent. I mean, he threw a late pick, I think, right? Yeah. Or thought, yeah. safety or something. People acted like, based off what the Browns have gotten at quarterback this year, it was decent. But. How wild is it that in 2023, Joe Flacco oh, threw for a touchdown. Joe effing Flacco. Jimmy Graham caught a touchdown. Just wild. Yeah, it is. Matt Ryan's in the booth. I know. It is so wild. Carson Wentz is a backup. That's so true. Should they move the transfer portal to after the bowl games, by the way? Oh, 100%. 100%. I guess you get into like some second semester issues, but I mean, let's not act like they really care about these kids academically. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, come on now. Yeah. Come on now. Unless you're Stanford. All right, before I get on a rant here about the college football playoff committee, he is Eddie Garrison. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week. We'll talk to you Wednesday. Colts, Bengals, Colts three-point favorite early here for week 14.